And the reality is they don't want God. They, they, want, they want like a really powerful assistant, right? And by the way, God, God can't disagree with us. It can't be like God has a different idea as to how your life should run. God has to agree with us completely. So we want a really powerful God that's no smarter than us, right? And that he'll do exactly what I do. And his idea of how my life should go is exactly how my life, I think my life should go. And if he says no, you know, I don't think I'm going to help you through this. Not in the way you want, at least. In fact, I actually want you right here. And so I'm not going to take you out of it. And, you, and the people think, well, what good is he? Right? In fact, he probably doesn't even exist. And what happens is people put circumstances in their life as their God. A trouble-free life is their God and the real God just exists to get them to the God that they want. This impenitent thief shows us how not to ask for salvation. The other thief couldn't be more different. He shows us how to ask for salvation or, or asking for the right salvation. It's interesting to note, by the way, if you read Matthew's account, both these criminals mocked Jesus. You know that, don't you? They both began, not just not the one, Luke only tells about the one. Matthew actually says the robbers, plural, who were crucified with him also reviled him. And so this other thief was just as vindicative and just as proud. And, and, and he also mocked Jesus and he also cussed out the son of God to his face. And yet something happens, something's changed. And we're not, we're not told what, we don't know what happened. Maybe he heard Jesus pray. As we consider last week, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe he thought, who, who prays to God like Father? What kind of intimacy is that? And who up here loves those down there? Who is this man? I, I don't know what happened. We don't, I mean, one day, if you're in Christ, you could ask him. Don't you think that's going to be cool? It's like, I, I'm going to go up to this guy. I know you've been asked this a million times, right? But tell me about the day. You were crucified next to Jesus. Because something's happened in this man's heart. And whatever it is, it was wonderful because he makes these three confessions. Do you see him there beginning in verse 40? Three confessions before his request of salvation. Number one, he explains that we should fear God. Verse 40. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? To this man, God was real. God was great. God is worthy of awe and reverence and love. God is not one to use, but God is one to fear and adore. Again, it is John Piper who says, It is fitting that sinful creatures bow before God in holy fear instead of railing against God as if a rebel ant should kick against the foothills of Mount Everest and demand that it flatten out so the ant can walk across. He fears God. The second confession is his sinfulness. He confesses his sin. Reading on in verse 40, he says, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. The other thief, you notice, and even in his request of salvation, there's no repentance. It never entered his mind that he should actually say, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I have done. But this man understands his sinfulness. He's been humbled. This is where Christian faith begins, by the way. If you, maybe you're here, you're not a Christian. So how does, 
How does this all start? Well, it starts with understanding God is real and awesome and worthy to be feared. And then it moves. Once we see who God is, we begin to understand more, more clearly who we are. We recognize we are nothing like him. We are sinful. And this man understands this. We're all sinful. Even as our brother Dave led us in, through Isaiah 53 this morning, confessing our sin. That's who we are. We're sinful in our thoughts. It's why you don't want people to know what you think sometimes. Because your thoughts are wrong. We're sinful in our words. We hurt people with what we say. We're sinful in our deeds. We do even what we know we shouldn't. And we don't do even what we know we should. And we're sinful. This man knows this. He says we're getting what we deserve, which I think is interesting. It's more than confessing sin. You notice that? He's a, not only does he recognize his sin, he actually accepts his punishment. We are getting this justly. I deserve this, he says. I find that interesting because if, if I took like a pull, if we were leaving this sanctuary in just a little bit after service and I asked each one of you on your way out, are you a sinner? I bet 19 out of 20 of you would say yes. Yeah, I'm a sinner. We, 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 we don't have any problem confessing that we are sinners. But then when... The consequences of our sin come, time, come around. We get angry. Do we not? We get upset. Why is this happening to me? This shouldn't, I, don't, I don't deserve this. Well, this man, no, he not only confesses his sin, he receives the consequences of his sin without complaint. He's saying we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. He takes it upon himself, his, the consequences of his sinfulness. He fears God. He confesses sin. And third... What does he do? He declares that Jesus is righteous. You see that in verse 41? He says, but this man has done nothing wrong. By the way, uh, you might find it interesting to know that this is the only man who will, while Jesus is crucified, who will refer to him by name. Um, He will will call, call Jesus. He says, Jesus, remember me. But before he does that, he he says, Jesus, you're righteous. He declares Jesus to be right, done nothing wrong. The world doesn't care if Jesus is righteous, doesn't care anything about Jesus, doesn't care if Christianity works for us. This man esteems Jesus. This man, this man elevates Jesus, and Jesus wants to be esteemed. Jesus wants you to follow him, not because he's a good deal, not because he helps you in times of trouble, but because he's worthy of your love and your obedience. One pastor says, Jesus does not want to drive the getaway car. He wants to be followed because we admire him. We must say with the thief, this man has done nothing wrong. This man does what is good. This man only speaks truth. This man is worthy of our faith and allegiance. And so he fears God. He confesses sin. He declares Jesus to be righteous. And it's only after these three confessions that he too has a request for salvation. As I just mentioned there in verse 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I think, now we all know, we all probably even have that memorized. And, and it, we, even as Mark was sharing with us, we do it with the songs, we do it with the scripture. We just breeze right by that. Remember what's happening. Jesus is pinned to a cross, naked, dying. And so is this man. And this man looks at Jesus and he concludes, Jesus is a king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is, by the way, not on a throne surrounded by adoring followers. He's on a cross. He's dying a grisly death. He doesn't look very kingly. And yet this man confesses him to be a king. Well, how does he know? 
Well, I wonder if perhaps he even heard it from the mocking. Look in verse 35. We saw this last week. The religious ruler said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Are you the Messiah, they say? Aren't you the Messiah, the king? And then the soldier's not to be outdone in verse 36. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They say, aren't you supposed to be the king? And then maybe he even looked above Jesus' head and saw this sign there in verse 38. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Well, how did that get there? Well, you know, don't you? Pilate, trying to mock the Jews, who kind of forced his hand in some way, he says, well, I'm going to put a big sign over it and says, this is your king, the naked man being crucified. And so there it is. This is the king of the Jews. Listen, Pilate makes a very strange evangelist, doesn't he? You see the sovereign hand of God. The very man who would sit in judgment on his son was used by God to announce the truth about his son. And there hanging above Jesus' head is a gospel track published by the vacillating hand of a cowardly politician. And this track read by a crucified thief and somehow, someway, by the work of God, he believes it. And then he asks this crucified king, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so somehow he thinks there's a future there. He, he thinks that, that there is life after death and there's a kingdom coming and this is what he wants. I want to be with you. That's where I want to be. When you come in your kingdom, I want to be with you. That's where I want you to take me. You know, listen, some people saw the resurrected Lord and they would not believe. This man sees the dying, crucified Lord and he believes and he says, Will you remember me? Please don't forget me. We might say, While on others thou art calling, please don't pass me by. And as amazing as, as this request is, notice it's equally amazing what he doesn't ask for. He doesn't ask to get off the cross. He believes Jesus to be the king. He believes in the powerful. I'm sure he'd like to come off the cross, don't you think? If Jesus said, hey, by the way, you know, I appreciate you saying I've done nothing wrong. Would you like to come off the cross? I'm pretty sure he'd say, yes, please. Right? I would like to get off the cross. But more than that, he wants to be with Jesus. Remember me, Jesus. You see the difference between these two men? For the first thief, Jesus is a means to an end. For the other, Jesus is the end itself, himself. Right? They're both in terrible circumstances. They're, they both turn to Jesus for trouble. The first says, I will be with you if you help me. The other one says, I will endure trouble if it means I could be with you. Do you see the difference there? Not help me with this problem, he comes to him and he says, Lord Jesus, do what you want with this problem. I just want to be with you. It don't, don't we, as we grow in Christians, don't we see this happening when we first start out following the Lord and say, Lord, I got, I'm, I'm in trouble. Can you help me? And we pray about that. And as we mature, don't you, aren't your prayers kind of change? God, I don't know what you're doing with this problem, but I just want to be with you in the midst of it. I want to learn what you want to teach me through it. I want a fellowship with Christ and his sufferings, as Paul would say. Not, not God, give me the life I want. It's like the first thief. He's saying, God, you be my life. I want to be with you. And so you have two men asking for salvation to the saving Lord. 
as he describes what salvation is in amazing detail there in verse 43. He said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Right? Notice his response to the first is nothing. He gets silence. He has no words for such a man. There's no hope for such a request. I'll believe, I'll follow if you help me. But his response to the second is unimaginably good. It's far more than even he asked. He said, I want to be in your kingdom one day. And Jesus says, no, by the way, no, how about this? Today, you will be with me in paradise. My, my four-year-old daughter asked me last night, Daddy, what's paradise? What, is, what does that mean? You know, it's, it's actually the word for garden. Isn't that interesting? You like gardens? You like spring warm days and running books, brooks and, and, and birds chirping? Right? A garden. It's a garden, but of course it's far better than just a, a garden, right? You know, this same word paradise is used twice more in the New Testament. It's once here in Luke, and it's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember when Paul says, he talks about this man, of course he's referring to himself, and he says, I know this man who went up to heaven and came back. But the word he uses for heaven is this word paradise. Now, by the way, just as a footnote, if if someone ever writes a book, there's one book that you ought to read of someone who went to heaven and came back, and it's called 2 Corinthians, okay? You should not read any other book of anybody who says, I went to heaven and came back. If you want more, we can talk about that more later. But anyways, Paul says, I went there. And you know what God said to Paul, who took him up to heaven and then sent him back? He says, don't tell anyone what it's like. And Paul says this paradise, can't tell you, but it's unimaginable. That's what it's like. The other place that it's used, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, the words of Jesus, to him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Paradise, a place of joy and gladness, a place of security and peace. This is the salvation that he offers this man. You notice, by the way, it is an immediate salvation. He says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not, not okay, we gotta wait to some indeterminate future age. We don't even have to wait till tomorrow. Today, Right, this man started his day being crucified. He's going to end his day in paradise with Jesus. Today, he says, today you will be with me. My friends, there is no delay in salvation. There is no lapse. There is no waiting. He does not say, today you will be in purgatory where you shall suffer for the next 10,000 years as you are purged from your sin and made fit for heaven. He does not say, today your soul will go to sleep and there await my return as the Seventh-day Adventists teach and as the Jehovah's Witnesses heretically teach. He does not say, today you're going to go to your own world and rule it just like I rule this world as the Mormons heretically teach. No, he, he, says, he says, there is no delay. There is no purging torment. There is no season of waiting. He breathes his last breath and he goes where? He goes to paradise that day. What happens to you when you die, Christian? Your body is laid in the ground to await the bodily resurrection, and your spirit immediately enters into the presence of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. I love Philippians 1. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't know what I want to do. My desire, he says, is to depart 
and be with Christ. But he says to the Philippians, but you need me here, so I'm going to stay and serve you. Right? That's what happens. In fact, consider the words of Jesus. Look in verse 46. I hope we'll consider them, God willing, next week. Jesus, crying out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. His, he dies and his spirit goes into the hands of God. Salvation is immediate. And by the way, it's not just immediate, it's personal. It's a personal salvation. Because if Jesus said to this thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, excuse me, if today you'll be in paradise, that would be incredible. But what Jesus actually said is even, is even far better than that. Today, truly I say to you, today you'll be, what is it? With me in paradise. In fact, I don't even think he needs to add in paradise. He just stopped there. Today you'll be with me. I mean, what, what paradise do we need other than to be with the Lord? So do not be like the other thief who, who wants paradise. You care less about Jesus. Get me off this cross. Save me. Help me. Right? No, this man, he gets Jesus. Remember me? Jesus, I'll remember you. You're going to be with me. Right? You get Jesus. When I come to die, when I come to die, when I come to die, what is it? Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. His salvation is personal. It's immediate. And it is assured it is certain. This is not just wishful thinking. This is not Hallmark sentimentality. He's just not trying to pump him up for the last hours in his life. Truly, I say to you, the Lord says, today you'll be with me in paradise. One translation says, I am telling you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. By the way, you could, Jesus always tells the truth. You could trust all Jesus' promises. But when he says, truly, I say to you, he is making a solemn vow. He is saying, I want you to rest your confidence in this. You can be assured. Friends, are you assured of your salvation? Are you certain that when you die, you will go and be with the Lord? You'll go and be in paradise? Jesus wants you to be certain. He wants you to be assured. I mean, if he's willing to save this thief on the cross, then he's willing to save you. In fact, you see, it is a gracious salvation. We, we, we call him the thief on the cross, and certainly he was that. Um, but you, don't, you didn't get crucified for being a thief. There are all sorts of other punishments, but crucifixion was reserved for the worst of individuals. It was reserved for terrorists and murderers. Right? It's undoubtedly that this man considered, Luke just calls him a criminal. He's done far more than, than robbing. We, of course, know Barabbas was a terrorist and a robber. And we, we, many people speculate this man was just, these men were just um, uh, acquaintances with Barabbas, fellow terrorists. And, and this man is, is being crucified. He's dying there. He even admits this is what he deserves. Right? And you know, what a, what, this man is a very, very bad man. This man is worse than probably anybody you've ever met. And by the way, not only is he he's a thief, and he's a murderer, and, 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 and he's all the rest, he also happened to be cursing the Son of God to his face just a minute or so ago. Right? There's Jesus, and he is, he is ridiculing and mocking him. If, in other words, you ever want a picture that you are not saved by your goodness, here it is. You see it. One minute, he's a violent murderer, cussing out Jesus to his face. The next minute, he says in humility, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says, okay, 
In fact, I'll, I'll one-up you. You come with me in just a little bit. Right? I mean, he didn't, didn't have any chance to make it up. He there, uh, right? Even if he wanted to do good, he couldn't. His hands are pinned to a cross. There's no religious rites to perform, no acts of charity. The only thing he could do was what? Is to believe in Jesus and to ask for mercy. Salvation is by grace, not by merit. He says, I deserve my punishment. I've, I've done wrong. I've killed people. And then he says, Jesus, remember me. Right? In some sense, that doesn't make sense because you think he would say either, I deserve punishment, so punish me, or I deserve to be saved, so save me. But instead, he says, I deserve to be punished, so save me. I deserve to be rejected, so accept me. And we kind of expect Jesus to say, well, man, make up your mind. What is it? Are you a terrible sinner deserving punishment? Or are you a moral man deserving heaven? But that's not what Jesus says to him. Jesus says, you're right. You are deserving punishment. And you are right. I will take you to paradise. Why? Because salvation is by grace. It's by mercy. Listen, this thief tells us two things. Number one, no one is good enough to earn heaven. And he tells us secondly, that no one is bad enough to be disqualified from heaven. Right? Do you think you deserve heaven? How many funerals have you been to? I've lost count. Where you hear, you know, this, this man was, was a good man, and he was he's gracious and charitable, and he loved his family, and, and, you know, he would give you the shirt off his back. Surely he's in heaven. Have you not heard that story again and again? This man looks to Jesus, and he says, Remember my goodness? Remember how I loved my wife and cared for my children and gave people the shirt off my back? Remember what I've done? No, he didn't say that at all. What did he say? Remember me. You, you could do nothing to earn your place there. All the world's religions say, okay, they give you a system. All the world's religions are good advice. Here's the advice to follow. Do this, take this pilgrimage, pray this way, you know, perform these religious rites, do this, do that, and maybe that's enough to get you into heaven. Christianity is the only religion that is not good advice. It's good, not good advice to do. It's good news to believe. That Christ has paid your penalty, as we saw from Isaiah 53. He's taken his, our sin upon him. He has received our punishment. He has paid our debt. And we are to come to him and say, I believe. Will you save me? There's nothing you can do to earn your place with him. And there's nothing you can do to disqualify yourself from coming. If you were attempt to think, I've done too much. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I, 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 I would simply say, look at this thief. Right? This man says, I'm a terrible man. I, I'm a sinful man. And, and Jesus, unlike, you know, everybody else in his life will say, oh, you're not that bad. And, you know, you're a diamond in the rough and all the rest. No, Jesus says, yeah, you are terrible. You, in fact, you might just be the worst. You, sitting here, you might just be the worst person ever. And Jesus says, so what? I've died to pay for sin. 
And I'll tell you, if this man could be saved without obedience, without restitution, with, with, without ritual, just trusting in Jesus, you can be saved. You too can be forgiven. You too can go to paradise with Christ. And it is my great joy today, based upon the authority of the very word of God, to tell you that if you would place your faith in Jesus Christ today, if you would say, I fear this God, I recognize I'm a sinner. Jesus is the righteous son of God who died for me and rose from the dead and I yield my life to him. Jesus would say to you through his word, today or one day soon, you will be with me in paradise. Just you do that right now. You don't need to come forward. You don't need you know, some religious rites. You don't need to go and right all your wrongs. You need to believe and submit your life to him. That's what this man invites you to do. Like he was saved, we too might be saved. For my Christian brothers and sisters, as we end our time in God's word, do these truths not give you joy? This phrase, today you'll be with me in paradise, that we sinners go to paradise because of what Jesus has done. Now, I understand life is hard sometimes. I understand there are difficulties and troubles, and many of you face troubles far greater than anything I've experienced, but, but is this truth not bigger than the hard times? Is this not an anchor for you? Is this not a steady foundation for you to stand on that you might live a life of joy even in the midst of your hardship and trouble? So about a couple months ago, I was listening to a Francis Chan sermon, and, and I, I don't know why he got on this topic, but uh, Francis Chan was talking about runway models. And um, he said, you know, a run, you know, runway models, they put on the clothes and they, they walk down and then they turn and they, they walk back. You know, they get paid $20,000 a night. $20,000 a night to put on clothes and walk down and turn around and come back and change and, and repeat. And yet, they always look mad. <laughs> you ever notice that? It's like angry. Man, if you gave me $20,000 to put on clothes, I'd be like, yeah, what is going on, right? <laughs> I mean, I would just be over the moon. Anybody wants to do that, I'm happy to do that, right? You know, my brothers and sisters, you have received far more than $20,000. You are going to paradise. And sometimes I think we, you know, I don't know, have you ever been to those churches where people come and arms folded? I'm not going to smile. No one, you can't make me. Right? And I like this song. Right? Sermon's too short. Okay? <laughs> right? It's too cold in here. It's too hot in here. She didn't say hi to me. Right? No, of course, not, that never happens here. But just, you've been to other places, right? And, and people come to church, they're almost angry. Your sins have been forgiven. You're going to paradise with Jesus. But gosh darn it, it's too cold in here, right? And I'm... You know, I, I know one worship leader, he was leading worship, and he, he actually stopped in the middle of the song, and he said, listen, if you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, somebody needs to tell your face, okay? <laughs> You're going to paradise. I, I could give you no better, I, I say, you, here's a trillion dollars, come and get it. That, it, that nowhere close 
to what you have in Christ. And I understand life could beat you down. I get it. It's why we have to retreat here. You know why you come here? Not to lower your blood pressure, but to be reminded of gospel truth. Refocus your hearts so you can face this life of trouble and trial with joy in your heart as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. You know how many times I cussed out God cursed him over and over again. Literally. I'm going to paradise because my God has saved this wretched sinner and redeemed him by his grace. Not because of what I've done, but because of who he is. We're going to paradise. Listen, three crucified men, all dying. But there's, there's more than three men dying, isn't there? I, I make number four, don't I? And you make number five. And, and we, we make number 300. Right? How, we're all dying. How are you going to face it? Right? In a little while, you're going to face that. The question is, what kind of dying man are you going to be? Will you be like this first thief who wants to push it off as long as possible? Or will you be like one of my great heroes, Adoniram Judson, the great American missionary, who once wrote a letter to his friend. He says, I do not tire of my work, neither am I tired of the world. Yet when Christ calls me home, I shall go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from school. How are you going to face it? I tell you the truth today. Today, or someday soon, you, my fellow believer in Jesus Christ, will be in paradise with the Lord himself. Our Father, we are thankful for this truth. May it put joy in our heart. And may we be reminded of it, even as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, as we consider the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.